Welcome back to The Theology of the Buddy, a podcast for Catholics who love the beauty of the church's sacred tradition. This is episode 62. My name is Chris, and I'm joined by my masculine co-host, Mike. How's it going, buddy? Great. Excellent. Friends, if you are somebody who is looking to grow in their faith in new ways, looking to network with other faithful Catholics who are committed to helping you grow closer to our blessed Lord, or simply looking for other Catholic voices who are willing to speak the truth without compromise, you've come to the right place. We're not experts. We've made that abundantly clear, Um, but have learned a lot over the 15 plus years that we've been friends. And so we want to share that with you. So if you aren't yet, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to ensure you get the best Catholic candid conversations delivered to you every week. While you're at it, don't forget to follow us on social media at Theology of the Buddy so you can keep up to date with all of the great content we are sending out. So, today on our podcast, the boys are back at it again, and we've got a new series that we're introducing. Yeah. Now it's a real series. We're doing a second one. That makes it a series. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, in our second season, this the episode where Mike and I just kind of got together and talked was probably one of our most popular episodes. Yeah. And uh, so we, we thought you liked it so much, we'll, we'll just keep coming back and giving you more and more and more. It was also maybe the most fun one for me personally yeah yeah it was a lot of fun yeah yeah so so let's let's talk about it we are calling this new series the sons of thunder reacts (laughs) and uh the the sons of thunder is an old title that originated well first of all with the sons of zebedee so it's totally not our idea it's the son of god um (laughs) the logos but um yeah so we we took it on when we were doing our blog with with our group called team orthodoxy back in the day yeah yeah and back then it was only uh music and (laughs) stuff right (laughs) so lame (laughs) yeah but uh, we use the name for something slightly more worthy now yeah even though it's still like i mean us versus the apostles it's not in the same planet, but no. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> true, true. So, yeah. so that's what's happening. So we are planning on, on a, on a regular basis, just getting together the two of us and reacting to something that we saw online or that we're experiencing together that, that impacts us. And, uh, yeah. And it's partially, partially reaction and partially prepared response to right yeah it's not like youtube react videos where we're gonna listen to it together and make faces at the camera (laughs) i mean we have researched the topic that we're going to talk about but it's something that affected us and you know we want to discuss too Mm -hmm. it's more like sons of thunder delayed reacts (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah so 
we hope you enjoy this series. We're hopping into a pretty spicy topic today. What's it all about, Mike? Well, the uh, we're responding to a YouTube video from good old Brian Holdsworth, pretty reliably good Catholic YouTuber, honestly. Um, a lot of good traditional content generally on the channel. And I like how he uh, like reasonably and charitably explains a lot of things. We are responding to what I'd consider his worst video, one <laughs> that we take issue with some of the arguments, obviously. But even then, I, I wouldn't necessarily dispute his conclusion in the video, just some of the arguments along the way. I think there's some definite errors in there that um, may be more important than you might realize. Agreed. Agreed. So we're going to start off this episode with a prayer. Now, we generally haven't done this, um, but we felt it kind of necessary for today's topic. Or um, more accurately, we usually do the uh, beginning of the pod pra- podcast prayer with the microphones off. That's true. That's true. And generally all in Latin. Uh, well, not all the time, but... <laughs> But yeah, so we're going to do the prayer of the angel of Fatima uh, that the angel prayed with them prior to uh, distributing Holy Communion to them. And yeah, we just felt it was apropos. So uh, for those who are listening, if you would join us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen. amen. Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I offer thee the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ present in all the tabernacles of the world in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifferences with which he himself is offended. And through the infinite merits of his most sacred heart and the immaculate heart of Mary, I beg of thee the conversion of poor sinners. Amen. Amen. In the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. Amen. All right. So let's, let's dive into this topic. Yeah. So... We're talking about his video on communion in the hand versus on the tongue. And uh, so Brian starts off talking about how he only receives on the tongue. And uh, he started doing so based on a prompting of the Holy Spirit. And since he has started doing this exclusively, he's increased in his sense of reverence and humility for the Blessed Sacrament, which uh, is all great in my book. And uh, yeah, we I know we've experienced kind of a similar increase in reverence and humility in doing the same practice. Mm-hmm. Um, he follows up by talking about some arguments in favor of uh, receiving communion on the tongue. But he starts off by um, pointing out one argument as unhelpful. And uh, this is the argument. Um, when people receive in the hand, it increases the chance that fragments of the Blessed Sacrament will fall to the ground and be trampled underfoot. So he says this argument is unhelpful. But I think it's notable that although he let off by saying it's unhelpful, all the arguments he uses in support of that claim relate to whether it's true, 
whether it's correct, not whether it's rhetorically useful or helpful. So I think it's important that we address both angles, whether it's helpful and, of course, whether it's actually correct. So on the topic of the helpfulness of that argument, we actually have a personal testimony on on that topic, right? Mm-hmm. I can speak from my own experience. Um, for me, it was a powerful moment in my life when I saw that video from Gabby. Mm-hmm. Um, what's his full name? Gabriel Castillo. Yeah. yeah. He runs the True Faith Talk, I think. Yeah. He runs and- True Faith Talk. He runs True Faith TV. Um, and then Gabby after hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's he's had multiple different accounts over the years, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, and we used to watch a bunch of his videos back many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. But when I saw his video about communion in the hand, um, he did a video showing how easy it is for fragments to fall on the ground when you receive in the hand and talked about how um, the church in her liturgical practice has traditionally guarded against this and considered it very important to do so. And I have to say, when I saw this video, it was like an arrow in my heart. I I was very convicted by this. And this was the push that I needed to actually try receiving communion on the tongue, even though back then it was Novus Ordo, it was Life Teen Mass, and you know, everyone looked at me like I had two heads receiving on the tongue. Everyone thought I was weird and I am, I'm a very shy person. Generally, I don't like to stand out. I don't like people looking at me, especially if I'm doing something that might offend them. That's really nerve wracking for me. Mm. So for me, I needed this push to see that I really was doing something irreverent and that I needed to change and do something better. Yeah. And I know from my own experience, it was, was similar, but just the simple changing of posture of the, the manner of reception does actually impact your faith in big ways. It does transform you. It makes you more, aware of who it is you're receiving like did you you found that yeah absolutely and this is again something i think brian would agree with and he even said in his video um that you know it's great for your spiritual life to kind of align um your gestures your posture with the reality of who you're receiving in the blessed sacrament um But I think where we differ is, yeah, that argument was helpful objectively for us. This is, you know, Brian said it was through a prompting of the Holy Spirit that he uh, decided to try receiving on the tongue. And I think it was the same with me. It was just that the Holy Spirit worked through this argument. So I could never say that it's unhelpful. So, yeah, take that for what it is. I think it's a helpful argument. I'm not saying say it to everyone at the Novus Ordo at all times. Obviously, context and relationship and stuff like that are important, but mm. um, I think it can be helpful if that is, it's true. Right. Is it true that 
receiving in the hand means people are more likely to step on the Blessed Sacrament? And is it true that this is an important, serious sin of sacrilege? Or is it, like Brian kind of suggests in his video, is it a minor issue that doesn't really hurt, that doesn't really offend God, that he very easily um, forgives and doesn't really care if we take notice of it? Um, I think, well, I'm going to go through Brian's arguments and then I'm going to respond to some of, some of them. And I think we'll be able to show that it is actually a very serious issue. And people making this argument are not just, you know, pulling stuff out of their butts. It's, it is a serious issue and it always has been considered serious by the church. And, so, and we also will, we'll probably end with maybe one or two stories from the saints over the years that I think illustrate this point as well. So yeah, stay for sure. tuned for, for the end. We'll, we'll share those as well. Absolutely. And of course, the saints are also going to be making the arguments for me because I'm dumb. So <laughs> if I'm going to argue with someone smart like Brian, I'm just going to look up quotes from the saints hmm. to uh, argue for me. Now, that being said, there was a picture that went around in our VIB group this past week. If you're not aware, VIB stands for Very Important Buddies. And uh, it was a picture of Mike juxtaposed against a statue of St. Jean de Brebeuf. And uh, the resemblance is uncanny. So I'm not 100% sure if you're not, that you're not a saint already. So, Well, I mean... There were a couple differences. <laughs> he, he had slightly more hair and uh, way more sanctity. So, uh, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll have to share that picture on our Instagram. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, okay, let's go through Brian's arguments. So, first thing he says about this argument is that it strikes him as Nestorian. And... I th to me, what it, I think he means by this is that it, in some sense, denies our Lord's humanity, right? He's saying that because it wasn't beneath our Lord to be material and to suffer indignities as a human on earth, that it's not a big deal if he suffers uh, indignity by having fragments of the Blessed Sacrament trampled. Um, he offers an analogy saying that um, people walked on our Lord's hair and skin cells that fell off him during his life, and no one thought that was a big deal. Um, he, On this point, uh, he did follow up in the comments and say, maybe that wasn't the best analogy. Maybe it would be better to compare it to one of the apostles tripping over our Lord in the night accidentally. So I have responses to that too. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's a better analogy, but in the end, I don't think it helps him. Um, yeah. And then um, kind of to, su to summarize and follow up on the first point, I think he says um, that stepping on a, 
particle of the Blessed Sacrament doesn't actually cause harm to our Lord because he's so powerful and he, he uses the line, I think he can handle it, which was kind of the one that made us think, man, that's not right. We need to respond to this because I really think it's the wrong way of looking at this issue. So I'm going to go back to the top of the list of the arguments, I think, to start responding to them. Did you have something you wanted to nope. interject yet? Okay. Nope. All right. So let's look at the uh, Nestorian angle, the angle of our Lord's humanity. I would respond that treating our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament as God does not mean we're denying his humanity. This is, I mean, the hypostatic union goes both ways. Our Lord is fully human and fully divine, but we don't treat our Lord like any other man because he is also God. And yes, he submitted humbly to all the trials and indignities of human life for our sake, but he also demands our worship he also commands that his holy name be treated with reverence, as well as his ministers, his saints, his church, and his sacraments, most especially the sacrament that is his very self, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And uh, to illustrate that, the church has always taught and continues to teach that sacrilege is a mortal sin, particularly when involving the Blessed Sacrament. And this is not just a trad thing. It's in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. You can look it up, 2120. It says, Sacrilege consists in profaning or treating unworthily the sacraments and other liturgical actions, as well as persons, things, or places consecrated to God. Sacrilege is a grave sin, especially when committed against the Eucharist. Okay, so... As a as a side note, right? I mean, we can we can say this, you know, but does like the church actually follow this in practice? She does. It's actually not just a mortal sin; it's an excommun- excommunicable offense to commit sacrilege against the blessed sacrament. For example, if you were to take the precious blood, the you know the under the the appearance of wine, and pour it down the sacrarium or the sink that is uh, generally in the sacristy um, of Catholic parishes. I say generally because some parishes don't give a flying hoot about <laughs> referencing the Blessed Sacrament or or anything sacred. But um, at traditional Catholic parishes, there's a sacrarium. And if you were to pour the Blessed Sacrament down the sacrarium, it would be an immediate excommunicable offense, Right. And this is something that actually happens quite often. Mm-hmm. Yep, I've heard. I've heard a story. I remember getting a phone call from a, a pastoral minister at a parish a number of years ago, who said, "I don't know what to do. Like my parish, they do. You know, they have multiple uh, extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, and instead of at the end of Mass, because uh, they receive under both species at this parish, instead of." taking the chalices and bringing them to the altar and receiving the blessed sacrament the the priest finishing it off kind of thing 
they take all those chalices and bring them back to the sacristy and just pour the precious blood down the sacrarium. And he's like, I don't know what to do. What should I do? And I'm like, you better call your bishop. That's what you better do. Yeah. Because that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know where that went, but I know how upset this pastoral minister was, you know, and, you know, the he was watching it happen and like it was his boss that was allowing this to go down. He knew what was happening. So how do you handle that? I don't know. Anyway, yeah, terrible. So it happens. Yeah, it certainly does. But the church has put in safeguards and guardrails canonically to protect against these kinds of profanations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to just um, briefly touch on the fragment issue. I know we're going to do, do more on this in a free, in a future episode, but um, one thing that I always kind of suspect is that people wouldn't make the exact same arguments if it was an entire host that was stepped on. A lot of people, especially serious Catholics who are talking about this, but still uh, don't think, you know, this argument against communion in the hand holds weight. They, they say things about fragments of the Blessed Sacrament that they wouldn't about an entire host, right? Like if the priest drops the host and someone negligently steps on it, people would think this is a big problem. And I think Brian would. Agreed. But uh, logically, I think you have to accept based on infallible statements of the church that as long as a fragment is large enough to have the accidents of bread and therefore still be the Blessed Sacrament, that anything that happens to it is identical to it happening to the whole ciborium full of hosts or, you know, the blessed sac- the uh, precious blood in the chalice. Um, and I'm not going to read them out cause I didn't want to, don't want to make the episode go too long, but if you want to see the infallible statements of the church, you can look at Canon three and four on the blessed sacrament from the council of Trent. Okay. So the skin cell slash tripping analogy. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you want to talk about the, skin cell thing i thought you had an interesting angle on it yeah so i mean so in his argument right it was essentially he was saying that particles of the blessed sacrament are akin to like skin cells of our lord that would have fallen off him during his his earthly life and would have fallen on the ground and you know would be eaten by you know microscopic organisms and trampled underfoot by everyone else and blah 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 and the the lord didn't find this below him being that he was fully human and fully divine um he would have allowed this to occur you know it wasn't a big deal to him um to which i say yes our lord did shed his skin being that he was fully human. Um, He probably would have lost some hair in the process. Um, Granted, I'm sure he had more luscious locks than Mike. Um, 
Definitely. <laughs> Probably more luscious locks than me, even. Um, but the the reality is that even if that were the case, we as Catholics have a very long-standing tradition where we would where we reverence these kinds of things in the bodies of the saints. The you know, Mike has can probably recall the story of going to Lisieux and seeing mm-hmm. the hair removed from Saint Therese, yeah. you know, when she became a Carmelite. Um, we keep this stuff because it's sacred, it's holy, and um, you know, we call these things first class relics for that reason. Um, so yeah, it's whether or not our Lord allows it or not um is i don't i think it's a moot point it's how we respond to those things if we knew there was a first class relic of saint therese sitting on the ground we wouldn't go and step on it you, you know on that relic it's not it's not therese but it's a relic of her and we know that that would be some sort of sacrilegious practice what if what if that was increased infinitely to not just be a piece of something that was, but, or someone who was, but God himself. Yeah. And just think of how people would act if that relic of St. Therese's hair was at their parish and they were able to venerate it. Do you think they would just take the hair out of the case and, pass it around into people's hands where strands of the hair could fall on the floor? Absolutely not. It would be considered sacrilege. But um, people rightly pointed out, I think, in the comments that uh, this analogy didn't really go far enough because, you know, a skin cell or a piece of hair is just, you know, a dead thing that was part of our Lord's body whereas the Blessed Sacrament is his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Mm -hmm. And so Brian came back and kind of offered a better analogy, which was um, imagine one of the apostles getting up in the night and they're all sleeping on the floor and he accidentally trips over our Lord. And he says, of course, our Lord wouldn't hold it against him. So although I think the analogy is way more accurate, Ultimately, I don't think it really helps the case if you think a little deeper about it. Imagine you're the apostle waking up in the night and you know your rabbi is sleeping on the floor. Don't you think you have an obligation to be a little careful not to step on your (laughs) rabbi? It would be, at the very least, disrespectful to step on your rabbi in the night and wake him up. And to some extent, Brian's right that if they were if they were careful and by some terrible accident, they still happen to step on our Lord, of course he would forgive them. But, and this is very important, if they trampled on our Lord and the reason was that they think it doesn't matter if I trample the son of God, then that is a damnable sin. Yeah. It's night and day. It's life and death different. I mean, you can, you can apply that same logic to, like a, a rabbi, but you could also apply it to, and I think it's perhaps more apropos to apply it to a king, you know? Yeah. Like imagine you're in the king's chambers 
and you just say, whoops, I tripped over you. And you just keep tripping over <laughs> the yeah. king over and over and over again because, well, the king's going to forgive you, of yeah. course. And the king analogy is good, too, when you think about why is our Lord on the floor? Imagine, you know, a king comes to your home and instead of, you know, giving him your bedroom and sleeping on the couch, you say, all right, you can sleep on the floor. And then in the middle of the night, you get up to go to the bathroom and you accidentally step on him. I mean, maybe you stepped on him by accident, but there are layers of negligence here. He's not supposed to be on the floor. He's the king. You're supposed to put him above yourself and give him the bedroom, give him the place of honor. Mm -hmm. And this is what the church is supposed to do in her liturgical practices. But it's not what happens when communion is received in the hand. Mm -hmm. Our Lord is allowed to be on the floor. And that's not right. You know, I think it's also important. You know, I think Dr. Peter Kwasniewski talks about the fact that it is it is heresy to imply that the Holy Ghost has not been guiding the church since the beginning into all into the fullness of truth, as the scriptures say, right? Yep. So, you know, in the early church, yeah, maybe they did have a practice of reception in the hand. But over history, the church realized just how bad this was, just how not perfect this was. And change the practice to match the the dogma yeah you know and even in um like eastern churches where they still involve the hand the practice is radically and totally different from what happens in the novus ordo which really used some of these um practices of the fathers and the eastern churches as a cloak to do what the protestants do which we talked about in our communion in the hand episode. Yeah. <laughs> so go listen to that. We'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. So finally, I wanted to address directly the comment. He can handle it. This is kind of saying because God's so big and he can't be hurt that it doesn't matter. Um, and my gut reaction to this is, was, well, can't you say this about any sin that, it's not really bad because God is so big and you can't really hurt him. But um, looking into this issue, there's actually a direct answer to this argument from St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa. Um, on the question of sacrilege, Article 1, the question is whether sacrilege is the violation of a sacred thing. The third objection he gives is as follows. God's power is greater than man's. Now, sacred things receive their sacred character from God. Therefore, they cannot be violated by man. And so, a sacrilege would not seem to be the violation of a sacred thing. It's basically the same thing that Brian's saying here, that God is too powerful, that you cannot violate something sacred that is the Blessed Sacrament, God truly present. Here's St. Thomas's reply to Objection 3. Violation here means any kind of irreverence or dishonor. Now, as honor is in the person who honors and not in the one who is honored, 
there he's quoting Aristotle. So again, irreverence is in the person who behaves irreverently, even though he do no harm to the object of his irreverence. Hence, so far as he is concerned, he violates the sacred thing, though the latter be not violated in itself. So I think it's pretty clear, although Brian is correct in the sense that our Lord is not harmed and cannot be harmed in himself, any irreverence toward the Blessed Sacrament is the sin of sacrilege. Yes. Mm -hmm. You can think of it as analogous to someone blaspheming in words. You know, they're not physically doing harm, but they are committing the sin of sacrilege. They are, in a sense, in regards to themselves, they're violating the sacred. They're violating God's name, even though God's holy name remains just as holy, just as perfect, and just as worthy as it always was. Yeah. It, it is almost akin to a kind of a Protestant kind of approach, right? I don't know if you, you would agree with that or not, but this idea that we can offend God and it's okay. He'll just forgive us. You know, mm-hmm. once saved, always saved. <laughs> kind of, yeah. You know, it's kind of weird. Yeah. It, it kind of feels that way, even though I know that's not at all what Brian believes or what he thinks. You know, he follows up by, you know, making some good points about how um, communion on the tongue can help us in our spiritual life. But one thing that uh, kind of struck me, and this is something that uh, I've seen a lot in um, Bishop Schneider. I've been reading uh, Christus Finchit, and he talks about anthropocentrism, how things are all are centered on man, where they should be centered on God. They should be Christocentric. And I think that's the biggest flaw with this approach to promoting communion on the tongue, is that it's focused too much on the human, how we feel, how we react, how this can help us, and not about God, about his rights, about how he ought to be treated, what he deserves in his glory. And uh, yes, we can like increase our humility and reverence by doing this practice, but how much more can we increase in it by doing it for the right reasons? Because God ought to be honored and reverenced in that way, and not because it helps me in what I want to do. Yeah. Um, in the book, The Judas Syndrome uh, by Thomas Colliandro, he actually talks about how you know, it's kind of a modern form of Pelagianism, right? To put man at the center of the universe, not God, <laughs> you know? So it's, you know, to say it's, this, you know, that the issue here is Nestorian, I would say in response, his attitude is a little bit Pelagian. Touche. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So in summary, gently leading people to the truth is good, but it's still got to be the truth. And although this argument can seem harsh, it is true. And if someone is ready to hear it, then it's helpful. Yes. So do we have time for some saint stories? Yeah, we can We can share a couple saint stories. So this is taken from the book, Holy Eucharist, Hidden Godhead. So I'll share two stories. Um, one is from the Curé of ours, who 
who told the following story to two Protestant ministers who, not, who did not believe in the Blessed Sacrament. He says, quote, A man had temptations to doubt the real presence, but he desired to be rid of these temptations and prayed to the Blessed Virgin to procure him a simple and tranquil faith. Now listen to me. I do not say that it happened somewhere. I say that it happened to me. As soon as that man came to receive communion, the sacred host detached itself from my fingers when I was still at a good distance and went of itself to rest on that man's tongue. Another another important story. This is more legend, but I, I do believe it. There was a certain heretic at Rimini who refused to believe in the real presence. He made this proposal to St. Anthony, St. Anthony of Padua. The unbelieving heretic would starve his mule for three days. If the hungry animal would prostrate itself before the monstrance, then the heretic would confess the reality of the Blessed Sacrament. On the appointed day, the heretic appeared in the town square with his beast. St. Anthony approached him from the opposite side with the sacred host. A curious group of believers and unbelievers alike watched to see just what would happen. A large pan of oats and a bundle of fragrant hay were placed before the hungry animal. But all this was ignored. Instead, the mule approached the saint and fell on its knees before the Blessed Sacrament. True to his promise, the heretic made a profession of faith in the real presence. Boom. Catholicism's so cool. <laughs> and I think, you know, I'm not sure which priest said it. Um, I'm, I'm tempted to say it's Father Richard Heilman, but, you know, if we don't start acting like we believe in the Blessed Sacrament, we are not going to start seeing miracles surrounding the Most Blessed Sacrament. Um, yeah. Our Lord, our Lord grants graces for faith, you know, and, you know, it's in the places where the Eucharist is being reverenced, that we're seeing the greatest increase in vocations to the Holy Priesthood, Holy Catholic marriages, Catholic families are growing. And it's in these parishes where devotion and reverence for the Blessed Sacrament, like it's in these parishes that all of those things are drying up and they're shuttering their doors. Mm -hmm. I think there's a reason for that. And so, you know, I think there is a great, great need for us to restore in practice our belief in the most blessed sacrament down to the very fragments as the the council of trent teaches right yeah. the fragments are our lord irreformably infallibly it says if anyone says that every particle even after the mass is not our lord then let him be anathema yeah I mean, the, there is that question, right, which we're going to get into in a future episode as to, is every particle, you know, yeah. the Blessed Sacrament, um, which, I mean, I think is a, a justifiable question mm -hmm. and, and should be answered. But even so, whether it is or not, we should be erring on the side of caution, not on the side of negligence. Yeah. And there's only doubt at a certain point, right? If something can still be discerned as a piece 
of the sacred host, then I think there's no doubt yeah. this is still the uh, full and true presence of our Lord. Yeah. And in that video from from Gabriel Castillo, right, which we talk about, there are times when the Blessed Sacrament is placed in the hand of a communicant, and it's undeniably a piece of the sacred host that is left behind when the person picks it up. Yeah, for sure. And that's what we are aiming to protect. Yeah. Cool. Well. That was great, man. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. So, yeah, if you aren't a communion on the tongue person, become one. We encourage it. Yeah. Go uh, watch the video from Gabby that we're going to link in the the show notes. Check it out. And... uh, let it touch your heart. That would be my advice. You know, have courage. It's going to be awkward if you're at Novus Ordo, um, but do it anyway. And it might be tough if you're in a parish or in a diocese where they don't allow you to receive Holy Communion on the tongue right now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, We're in that situation in our diocese. But I will say that God does provide for those who are seeking for it. Yeah. So um, have courage for sure. Awesome. Do you have any other closing thoughts before we sign out? Yeah. We still like you, Brian Holdsworth. Don't hold it against us. <laughs> Be our friend. <laughs> You're great. Keep making good videos. Yeah. So if we're, we're going to sign out here, I think we'll, uh, we should maybe talk about um, what's coming next week we are i think we're continuing our liturgical breakdown yes that's what it is oh snap dude yeah it's been a fortnight (laughs) it's been more than a fortnight it's been a minecraft it's been a covid night (laughs) it's been a halo So, yeah, make sure you're listening next week or tune in next week for that. We're going to continue digging into that. And, uh, yeah, again, if you haven't yet, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast. So uh, wherever you are listening, whether it's iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, hit that subscribe button. It would mean the world to us if you would do so. Um, And uh, we would love for you to catch up with us on social media. Uh, We're fairly active in Facebook and Instagram and all of that. Um, And again, we talked about this in the last episode, but we also have a inner circle of podcast listeners who um, are helping us curate our content. So, we would love for you to join that. So if you are interested in helping the theology, of the buddy grow and become the best podcast, the best Catholic podcast in the world. Yes, that would be amazing. Even better than Anthony Stein. Oh, <laughs> not likely, not likely, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we would love for you to be part of that. So hit me up on uh, uh, instant message. Uh, is that what they call it these days? A Facebook message, a direct message. Hit me up on MSN <laughs> or, uh, or email theology of the buddy at gmail.com. Make sure if, uh, again, if you want our show notes, you can find that at theology of the buddy.com. So 
we love you. Thank you for listening. And uh, from all of us to all of you, stay, stay tracking.